This is the Intimacy Podcast. Today you're listening to episode 48, Mismatched Desire, and we're talking specifically to the lower desire partner. Welcome. This is the Intimacy Podcast. Here you'll find clean sex talk, answers to your intimate questions, and practical advice to take your relationship to the next level. I'm your host, certified intimacy coach and instructor, Rhonda Farr. While this podcast is not rated explicit, some content may not be suitable for younger listeners. Hey everybody, today we're continuing with last week's topic of mismatched libido in a relationship. And we're talking more specifically to the lower desire partner. Before we get started, I want to let you know that sometimes I really hate it when I am listening to a podcast and it takes like 10 minutes for them to get to the good stuff that I really want to hear. So I try really hard not to do that so much these days. I hope you can appreciate that. But for today, I do just want to take 30 seconds and welcome all of you who are finding this podcast for the first time. I'm seeing those numbers go up. I'm so glad you are here, my friends. I also wanted to thank those of you who have left me a five-star rating and a review. Thank you from the very bottom of my heart. It helps me so much when you do that. So if you haven't left a rating and a review yet, will you pretty, pretty please do that for me? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, let's dive in now. Lower desire partner. What do we have for you today? I want to make it clear that sometimes in the past, I've just used the term low desire partner, and I use that term interchangeably with lower desire partner in the relationship. But for today's purposes, since we're speaking specifically to this topic, I think it's really important that I call that out for just a minute. I want you to really think about what we're saying here, because This is why. Just because your level of desire is lower than that of your partner, it doesn't actually mean that you have low sexual desire. So really think about that. If you want to be having sex about twice a week and your partner wants it every day, I don't think that means that either of you suffer from low desire or low libido. It just means one is higher, one is lower, and the desire levels are a bit mismatched. Which, by the way, if you listen to last week's episode, you know that's totally normal. Wouldn't it be funny if we put a label on all the preferences that were mismatched in a relationship? Think about that. I'd be like, I'm Rhonda. I am the high appetite partner. (laughs) I'm Rhonda. I'm the low media partner. I'm the high fitness partner. I'm the the low sleep tolerant partner. Right? There are discrepancies everywhere in our marriages. For sure, some of these discrepancies affect our spouses more than others. I get that. But I'm just curious how it feels to have a label put on you with regards to your sexual desire. And I'm curious if those labels serve your relationship in a way that fosters growth. I'm not going to answer that question for you today, but perhaps it's something for you to think about. Does the label of lower desire partner make you feel good about yourself? Good about your partner? Does it make you feel good about your marriage? If the answer is no, 
I would invite you to rethink the way you're thinking about this. Trust me when I say you cannot feel shame about something and still work toward progress and solutions. I don't know if I articulated that very well. What I'm trying to say is some people are worried like if they stop feeling shame or if they stop feeling embarrassment about something, then they won't take action to actually make it better. I want you to know that's not true. In fact, I firmly believe that the best way to work toward long-lasting solutions is actually when you're feeling good about yourself. Think about this. If you were hoping to run a marathon, would it be better to think of yourself as a defective runner or somebody who's out of shape or a couch potato? (laughs) Or would it be better and create more motivation and therefore more positive results and actions to think of yourself as a marathon runner in training. It's just something I want you to consider. I want you to watch those labels that you believe about yourself. Now, you're saying, but Rhonda, you're putting that label on me. (laughs) I am using the words lower desire partner for this podcast episode so people will know what it's about. Those are terms that people are very familiar with. And just because I'm talking about those terms, I don't think you have to identify yourself with that label. So last week, we talked about how the higher desire partner often feels powerless in their own intimate relationship because the low desire partner seems to control the frequency of sex. That makes sense. The high desire partner is almost always hoping for sexual connection, right? So they're pretty much always in the mood and ready to go. So when the lower desire partner finally agrees, it usually does happen. Because of this dynamic, it can seem like the lower desire partner has the upper hand and also is controlling the bedroom. I want to start out by saying, I understand that my lower desire friends also may feel a very tremendous or heavy burden in all of this. Most of you don't want that control. Am I right? You don't want to have to be the one to manage it all. Many lower desire partners are very frustrated with themselves and they feel like they're a constant disappointment to their spouse. There's also this burden of feeling like they're expected to engage in something that isn't even their idea and that they have to figure out a way to appease their partner all the time. These feelings can be really heavy and over time they can create an even deeper negative association with sexual intimacy altogether. Obviously, you guys, this negatively impacts the relationship and stifles your happiness and perhaps even your sense of identity in the marriage. I've talked about this just a little bit before on a previous episode, but I want to remind you that anytime you feel like you have to suppress a part of who you are, when you feel like you have to suppress your true desires and wants and needs, in the favor of what your spouse wants, over time, this will probably feel like a loss of yourself, a loss of who you are and what you bring to the marriage. And that can be pretty isolating. Higher desire partners, are you listening to this? I'm not saying that you're purposefully stifling your spouse. I'm not even saying that you're actually doing it at all. But what I am saying is, this is how it likely feels to your partner. So please try not to get defensive here. I just want you to be able to understand what's going on for each other. 
Okay, so that's why I'm kind of explaining both sides of this. Knowledge and understanding is power. So it can be really important to address what's really happening. This way you can see it for what it really is, and then you can identify the best course of action to make improvements if you so choose. Now, there are going to be some people who listen to this podcast and say, yep, that sounds like me, and I don't care. I don't want to change. (laughs) Some people have asked me to work with their spouses who have that mentality like, yep, that's me, and that's how I'm going to stay, and like it or leave it. What I always tell them is, I don't actually want to work with people who feel that way. And it's a perfectly valid option. If that's you, I respect that. But you're probably not ever going to be my ideal client. (laughs) And that's okay. I can still love you anyway. So this is what I want you to know. If you do see some need for improvement and you do want to make some changes, it's a really serious disservice to yourself and to your relationship to say, well, we just don't agree on sex or I just don't have any desire and there's really nothing we can do about it. Nothing can be done to improve this situation. I don't believe that. I think all relationships can be improved if there is a desire to do so. Once you understand how these cycles that we're talking about over the course of these few weeks is impacting all parts of your relationship and even how it's impacting your own sense of self, then you can be objective about moving forward in the way that will ultimately foster connection in the relationship and ultimately help you personally feel a sense of connection and of belonging to yourself as well. So are you ready to talk about it with an open mind? If you are, I want you to think about a couple of questions. Ask yourself, how often are you having sex from the emotion of desire? How often are you having sex out of obligation, out of the feelings of a chore? This is really important to be aware of. Just like we talked about last week, the more often we make the connection of our sexual relationship with the feeling of obligation or the feeling of resentment, the stronger that negative association will become. Okay? Can you see that? Every time you have sex with these very negative feelings, the more your brain is going to make that connection or form those neural pathways that say, this is bad. This is only for the other person. This is not enjoyable. This isn't good. Okay. Now, on the other side of this, the more often we can approach sexual interactions from a place of true desire, from a place of love, or even just a place of willingness the stronger the correlation and association will be between sex and a positive experience. I hope that makes sense. It's like we're just conditioning ourselves. If every time you get in a car, you get into an accident, you're going to start to be really fearful of cars, and you're going to really dread having to get in one and go anywhere. If every time you get in a car, you hear your favorite song, and you find your favorite treat waiting for you in the middle console, you'll probably be happy to get in your car. Can you see how you're doing the same thing to your sexual mindset? You're just reinforcing whatever association you're making each time you're intimate with your partner. Okay, Rhonda, I hear you out there. (laughs) But how on earth do we change those feelings? Some of you are saying that to me. All right, that sounds good. I want to have a different association with my partner and with sex in general, but how do I do it? It really doesn't seem like something I have control over. 
In fact, some of you are saying, I've tried. I've tried to do that. Or some people will even tell me that they can't change how they feel because of something to do with their spouse or a previous experience that they've had. I hear you. I know those concerns are there, but this is what you need to understand. If you stay in this place of feeling like you're at the effect of your partner, at the effect of your health or the effect of your past experiences, your resentments, whatever it is, you will never be able to grow and make changes. This is one of those important places to really see your mindset. If you think you are a victim, and when I say victim, I'm using that term pretty loosely, but if you think you are at the effect of everybody outside of you and everything else that's beyond your control, you're going to be really unhappy because then you're powerless. You're powerless to change. You're powerless to make your life feel better or you're powerless to create the results you want in your relationship. My suggestion to you is to be willing to explore your barriers. I want you to be willing to go to that place where you're really figuring out what those things are that are so difficult for you. Allow the emotions to come up and then you need to sit with them long enough to figure out what's underneath your frustrations with your sexual relationship. It is good to confront these things. If we continue to stuff and avoid and ignore, that's when we get resentful and angry. The further that you do that, or the more that you do that, the further the distance will become between you and your partner. It's going to breed more and more problems. When we don't share and we let our partner, when we don't let our partner in on what we're thinking and feeling, How can we expect them to understand our perspective? I see so many clients who are so frustrated because their spouse just doesn't seem to get it. They just don't understand. But really hear me when I say this. In order to do that, you have to confront the barriers. You have to feel that emotion bubble up that probably will be very uncomfortable at first. And you have to explore it. When the time is right... Share those things with your partner. The issues need to be addressed so you can uncover the thoughts and beliefs that are sabotaging your desire and ultimately your happiness. Own those thoughts as your own and try not to blame your partner during this discovery process. As the thoughts come up for you, perhaps you're going to want to jot those down somewhere. Now, what kind of thoughts am I talking about here? Let me give you a few examples. If you have never done this work with me or if you're not really aware of what mindset work is all about or thought work is all about, I want to teach you a little bit right here. Many of my clients who struggle to feel desire consistently probably have thoughts like this going through their mind. My husband is selfish and only thinks about his needs. He's just objectifying me. There's something wrong with me. Or perhaps there's something wrong with our marriage. Our marriage isn't working here, okay? So what I'm talking about when you might want to jot some of these thoughts down, those are the things. What's running on a loop in your brain when thoughts of sex come up? Make a note of it. It's so good to be aware of these thoughts because that's when you can examine them more closely and that's when you can see what emotions these thoughts create. It's really important because the thoughts that are looping over time through your head, 
They are creating emotions for you and you want to know why. And then after you see what emotions are being created, then you'll know why you feel the way you do every day and why you're acting the way you act towards your partner, towards your kids, toward everything in your life. I like to ask my clients when thoughts like these come up, is this really true? Like, for example, let's use the my husband is selfish one. Is it really true that your husband is selfish? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I like to ask my clients to think about what their partner might be feeling about the very same situation. When you jot these thoughts down, like I said, that's where you can really evaluate them. So many of us have thoughts running on loop through our heads and we never even stop to question them. We never even stop to think about how they're affecting us. Also, as you notice the emotions that these thoughts evoke in you, you can evaluate if you like the behavior that you engage in when you feel this way. So, for example, when I think the thought, my husband is so selfish, I might find that I feel very resentful toward him. If I'm honest about how I act when I'm feeling resentful, I might find that I often avoid him, that I judge him and his desire, I might disregard his feelings or his requests, things like that. And what I would notice is that I too start to be self-centered in my actions. <laughs> All right, it's, it's really interesting how this happens, right? And before you think I'm being really hard on you and criticizing you, my lower desire partner, and before you start to think, well, she just doesn't get it, let me say that this isn't a personal attack on you, okay? I found myself in this cycle many, many times. I am with you. It's human nature, right? Oftentimes when something comes up in a marriage and we get in that reactive mode, like I said before, when we kind of are playing the, the victim or like we're at the effect of our partner or whatever's happening around us, that's when we start to display similar behaviors to the ones that we're frustrated by, right? So you start mirroring. You think he's selfish, then you get resentful, and then you start get, getting self-centered, okay? But once you realize what's happening, it only takes one partner to end that cycle. Now, that, that doesn't mean if you end that cycle that your partner will suddenly do everything the way you want them to. When you stop engaging in the cycle, what actually usually happens is you can stop reacting and therefore you can be more intentional about being solutions focused, which is what we really want, right? You know, whenever I do these podcasts, I love to give you some practical solutions. So are you ready to talk about those? Me too. So let's do it. <laughs> if you find yourself truly feeling like you have no desire, okay, so not just desire that is a bit lower than your partner, but you really feel like you don't have any desire, it's a good idea to see if you can identify why. How can you expect your partner to understand and cope well with these issues that you're facing if you don't even take the time to figure it out and understand what's going on for yourself? So here are some things to evaluate. How's my stress level? Am I taking medication that might affect my libido? Am I sleep deprived? Are there unresolved relational issues outside the bedroom that are keeping me stuck in resentment? Do I need to forgive or find healing in any area of our marriage? How are my hormone levels? Could they be affected by pregnancy, by breastfeeding, maybe menopause? 
These are all concerns that could lead to a low sex drive, okay? I have podcasts that explain how stress affects intimacy and how emotional connection affects intimacy. Go back and look for those if you need to. Also, if you're on a medication that may be causing a problem, talk to your doctor. I would never recommend for you to go off of a needed medication, but often there are things that other things that you can try. Okay? So it's worth looking into. Get your hormone levels checked if nothing else is working. If you're pregnant or if you're breastfeeding, know that this will likely pass. Perhaps make a plan with your partner, if this is the case, of how to work together on making sure both partners feel heard even during this time when your desire may be low, if you're nursing, pregnant, those sorts of things. Another question to ask yourself is, do you have messages that are still lingering from your familial or cultural upbringing? So feelings and beliefs around sex in general is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we have some cultural beliefs or familial um, lessons that were taught to us, maybe even some scare tactics from when we were youth that aren't really accurate, okay? These things don't just go away as soon as you get married. I've seen this a lot in my practice. People um, sometimes call it the good girl syndrome or the good boy syndrome when we're just still rooted in sex being embarrassing or dirty or sinful or even if intellectually we know that it's not sinful, we have these subconscious thoughts that we shouldn't be enjoying it or we shouldn't really let ourselves indulge in it, okay? What is deep-rooted in your belief system? whether you logically believe it now or not. Bring these things to awareness so you can address them head on. Another good question to ask is, am I willing even when I'm not completely aroused? Okay, I want to touch very briefly on the idea of responsive versus spontaneous desire. The lower desire partner may feel like they are defective because they don't go around experiencing spontaneous desire. I've mentioned this before. I've heard guys say, you know, I could just walk through the grocery store and see fruits that are shaped in um, phallic or, (laughs) you know, body part shapes and it makes me all aroused and excited sometimes. I definitely know there are people who can just look at their partner and get super aroused. But it's really important for you to know It doesn't happen that way for everybody, okay? Spontaneous desire is something that some people think is normal, that they should just be walking around excited all the time, but that's not the case for most of us. This same person who is frustrated that they don't have spontaneous desire might find that once they get into it, they're totally on board and able to enjoy sex. I actually hear this from a lot of people. The truth is, this is very, very common and there's nothing wrong with you. If this sounds familiar in your, la- in your relationship, it might be better for you to ask, am I willing to get in the mood rather than do I feel aroused right now? Notice this isn't coming from a sense of obligation. Rather, it's coming from a place of willingness and nurture for the relationship and the other partner, and even for self. If you are willing, but you still find it hard to get in the mood, please check out my earlier episode about how to create more desire. Go back and look that one up from a couple months ago. 
I talk about something called the dual control system. Basically what it means is we all have two systems in our brain when it comes to sexual response. One is like a brake and one is like an accelerator. Many of us have the brakes on tight and then we wonder why we can't get going. This might look like a mom who's trying to push the sexual accelerator, and by accelerator I mean, okay, let me see if I can get in the mood, right? They're going to try to push that gas pedal to get going, yet she's still thinking about kids and meal prep and financial stressors and all the things. And she'll be like, okay, Rhonda, I'm trying so hard to get in the mood. I'm willing. I want to, but I just can't. That's because all those breaks or those inhibitors are in the on position. And even if she's pushing the accelerator, she's not going to go very far. Check out that previous episode for more on that. But for now, I really want you to just get that visual of you're being in a car, your emergency brake is on, it's pulled tight, and you're pushing the gas pedal. And what's going to happen is you're going to rev that motor up and you're going to be really frustrated and really confused if you don't know the brake is on. You're going to be like, why isn't this working? Even if I go a little sputter, I'm not going very far. And it's jerky and it feels awkward and it's not what I want. Okay. Another thing you can do as the lower desire partner is to continue to remind yourself that both of you have very valid and normal feelings. By both of you, I mean your higher desire partner's feelings are normal and valid and your lower desire feelings are normal and valid. Now, your spouse is likely not trying to be a burden on you or degrade you. Their desires are righteous, just like yours are. As you understand this on a deeper level, you can then start to work on ways to feel intimately connected, both inside and outside the bedroom, right? When you're feeling more connected outside the bedroom, you can build that foundation to support physical intimacy. One more thing that I think we have to mention is the way you feel about yourself, your own body, your own sexuality will have a direct impact on your ability to show up in the bedroom. Take some personal inventory here. This issue is a solvable one. And what I mean by this issue is the feelings about your own worth, your own body, a lot of body image things, which by the way, of course, I did a podcast on. So if that's something that you're struggling with, go back and look that up. Body image has a huge effect on how we show up in the relationship, not just sexually, but in your communication, in your agreements, in your understanding of each other's preferences and where each other are coming from, right? What fosters sexual connection between two people is everything else about the relationship. It's not just what happens behind closed doors in your bedroom. That emotional safety and trust is huge. Lower desire partner, I want you to know that I get it. You probably do not want to be the low desire partner in your marriage. I want you high desire partners out there to realize that. I know it's frustrating. I know sometimes you just feel exhausted or you're exasperated with the issue. But I want you to know your partner doesn't like it any more than you do. And they probably would love to resolve this issue as much as anyone. As you move forward together with all these new thoughts in your mind that we've talked about today. I encourage you to see the bigger picture of what's going on. The lack of desire itself 
is likely just a symptom of something else that is underlying. Can you even imagine going to the doctor and you're like, um, you have this bullet hole in your arm and you're like, I just want you to make the bleeding stop so I stop getting blood all over everything. <laughs> the doctor's like, yeah, but there's a bullet in your arm. We, we need to pull that out. And you're like, no, 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 no. I don't even want to worry about that. I don't have time for that. Could you just help me not get blood all over my life, <laughs> right? Like, let's just clear that part up and, and not worry about the, the bullet in my arm. You would never do that. But what happens is in a marriage, sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to go do that hard stuff. And I don't want to change that mindset stuff. And I don't want to talk about all these other things. And it just takes too much time and too much work. And I hear people all the time say, well, I just don't have enough money to invest in that. Like there are so many other things that are important to me. I don't have enough money for that, right? I hear you. It's not something that we wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to put my emotional energy and I want to put my financial investment and maybe even my spiritual commitment all into this. I feel you. Like most people, it's not even on their radar to do that. But I promise you, the things that you're experiencing are symptoms. When I do coaching and when I work with clients one-on-one, we go to the root of it. We pull the bullet out of the hole We heal and clean that wound. We bandage it there and the bleeding stops for sure. But that's not our focus. I hope that makes sense to you. All right, guys. When both partners feel like they can be themselves and be loved for who they truly are, I promise you that is the sweet spot of connection and true intimacy. If you haven't been very open with your partner about how you're feeling, I want you to expect this to feel a little bit awkward at first. That's totally normal. When there's discrepancy in a marriage and both partners speak honestly, it will likely feel very uncomfortable, especially at first. I won't deny that. I won't lie to you about that. But this is also the very first step towards true intimacy. Getting honest and real with each other. Showing that mutual concern and respect. Okay, let me know what you think. And don't forget, if you found value from this episode, please take just a minute of your time to leave me a review. I would so appreciate that. Hey there, friend. I know there are some of you out there who are enjoying the podcast, but you aren't sure exactly how I help people in my one-on-one practice. If that's you and you're wondering if I might be able to actually walk you through a much-desired transformation in your own marriage, make sure you get on my calendar. I'm going to leave a scheduling link in the podcast description today. It's free and you can make your own appointment by using the link you'll find in the description of this episode. 